Welcome to Spook Pod. This is Courtney. And this is Emily. single time every (laughs) single time when we start recording i say rolling and you sing that song i can't stop every single time it's a knee-jerk reaction at this point (laughs) i have to cut it out of some episodes too because i'm like we literally can't do this every single time (laughs) we could no one would care (laughs) it looks bad on me no one else so (laughs) Well, welcome back to Spook Pod, everyone. I hope you've had a lovely past two weeks. It's been a little while since we've talked, unless you come visit us on our other podcast. That one is still every week. Or if you just recently found us and are like binge listening, then you're Which not. I feel like some people are because we're having like some crazy numbers right we now. We like it though, so that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like some people are binging us right now. Uh, okay, before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to do just one little tiny item of housekeeping. You're going to be mad at me about this, but I'm sorry in advance. Only Courtney. Emily doesn't have anyone <laughs> mad at her ever. <laughs> um, we are going to take a tiny little vacation after this episode. So again, normally episodes come out every two weeks, but we are skipping our next episode. So you won't hear from us again until June 2nd. I'm very sorry. And yeah, you can blame me for this fully. It is fully my fault because, well, I have some Dutch exams to write. If you Dutchies don't know this, like in order for me to live in your country, I have to write six exams in Dutch. It's not fun for me. Okay, first of all, no, don't. Because she says that like she doesn't like it, but you guys didn't see Courtney in school. So mm, she's fine. I mean, (laughs) I do like exams, but it is like something that's like hanging over my head. And I feel like I'm only working at like 50% capacity right now. So it's like really hard for me to get shit done right now. I don't know. Like I I can't have like the same amount of things I have going on. So I'm going to take these next two weeks and I'm going to study for these exams. Actually, you know what? Doing this podcast has helped me because I need to know like all the different areas of the Netherlands. And one of them, I was like, oh shit, where is that place? And then I was like, ooh, we talked about a case there on this podcast. That's where so-and-so was murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm like, it's here. And then I got it right. So this podcast is helping me learn, which... And once we get back from Courtney having her exams, the entire podcast will be in Dutch. (laughs) No, you guys know I really need to study for this because, yeah, I'm not... I'm not very good at Dutch. Also, I speak, I, I do well. I on speak the exams, none. Though. I speak none of the Dutch, so <laughs> that would be very bad. <laughs> the exams aren't super hard, but I still just—they're expensive. That's the thing. Is like I have to pay for them. So if I fail, I have to pay again, and I just don't want to do that. So it's just like the driver's license system in Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So today's case is a fun one, I think, if murder can ever be classified as fun. 
but we are going to talk about Maria Katharina Swanenberg, other otherwise known as Hua May. That's that one's hard for me to say. Hua May. The vowels in that situation. It's just all vowels. It does not. Word. There's a G and an M, and every other letter is a vowel. (laughs) I would never have pronounced it the way that it just came out of your face. Yeah, right? Hua May. Goi me. (laughs) Gooey me. Yeah, gooey me. Uh, (laughs) If we're doing it phonetically. (laughs) So it translates essentially to like good May, which is a nickname that this woman earned actually for her willingness to help others. Uh, Fun fact. And then she gets murked. Oh. She no, she Okay. Oh, murked. she's the murker. <laughs> she she's the murker. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> so, uh yeah, also fun fact, it also translates to good noodles. Like may is a type of noodles in Chinese food here. <laughs> so, <laughs> good noodles, but we're talking about the person good may. But yeah, perhaps Hua May's nickname was not well placed because She is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most prolific poisoner. Did she do it in noodles? Because that would be poetic. (laughs) No, mostly in soups and oatmeals, I think. But which I really like oatmeal, so that sucks. You would be so at risk for (laughs) (laughs) anybody places a bowl of steaming oatmeal in front of you. You're like, oh, thank you, no questions asked. (laughs) Yup. So, yeah, it's thought that over the span of about 20 years, some people kind of question the timeline, um, but she poisoned well over 100 people, it's thought, mostly her neighbors and members of her own family, extended family, at least. Because who else do you try out rat poison on than the people at your Thanksgiving dinner? Right. Yeah, there are at least 27 known people who have died by her hand, but she is suspected of killing up to 90 people. So she was, in fact, a Dutch serial killer, the most prolific. In fact, she is the person in the Netherlands who has killed the most people. And she's a woman, making her a very rare breed. A very high achiever, too. Like, Yeah. And at this point, she this happened... Um, in the 1880s she was caught in the 1880s so at this point it's kind of like half myth or half legend but this is a true story and many people in the city of Leiden where this took place they still know this story very very well so let's dive into it shall also, we though, like what a great time to be a serial killer in like the 1800s definitely that's why nobody like, was tracking anything they barely knew how many people were in their cities it was like what oh, just a great just <laughs> epidemics a good time. were rampant yeah, yeah we're, I'm that could have been it. <laughs> was it poison was it the plague I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't me. <laughs> Not and then sure. you just shuffle <laughs> off into your witch's hut. Like, <laughs> so I'm going to call her Maria because that's a lot easier for me. Uh, but Maria was born on September 9th, 9th or, sorry, 1839. And I would just like to point out that this makes her a Virgo, like me. And for some reason, like a lot of serial killers are Virgos. I think it's like our type A. Yeah. Gotta have all them. All them ducks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, like, probably 
just less likely to be caught because you are organized? Like, I feel like if me and Aries uh, rammed their way into a murder, first of all, we didn't intend to do it. Uh, You're an Aries? <laughs> I yeah. didn't know you were an Aries. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I ride the, like, um, Aries Taurus line. No, Aries Aquarius line. So no, I Pisces, have... I think. I th- I oh, think yeah, I Pisces. I thought you were a yeah. Pisces. No, because I'm, like, right on the 21st of March, so I ride that line between the two. Right. So I'm, I get that, like, weird mix. But um, I just feel like I would blunder my way into a murder and then be like, okay. (laughs) And then, like, I probably probably would have had, like, a little bit of rage that pushed me there, but it was definitely a series of accidental events that resulted. (laughs) And then I'd just be like, how do I clean this up the most efficient way? And that would result in me being, like, immediately caught. Immediately. (laughs) You'd be, like, at the crime scene, like hosing things down <laughs> yeah like, just, and oh, just washing like... a driveway nothing to see here <laughs> and you would have had like months of planning and a calendar of events and a disposal <laughs> method and like people lined up that on the pay that had no idea what was going on but were just like yeah. blindly a part of it <laughs> that would but be you <laughs> i think it's really funny because there's this like meme that it like lists a whole bunch of serial killers and says their sign and there's only three signs on the whole list and it's virgo Sagittarius and Gemini and I think it's really funny because my sun sign is a Virgo my rising is a Sagittarius and Irwin's sign is a Gemini so listen I've known a few Sagittarius in my life and bet they could commit a murder like (laughs) yep it's funny um all right well Maria she was the daughter of Clemens Swanenberg and Johanna Dingen Ding Dingen And she had 11 brothers and sisters. So she was born in Leiden, uh, as I said, and she lived there her entire life. And it's a city in South Holland. It's right near The Hague, kind of, which is where, like, all the big government stuff is. And I think to truly understand this story, we really need to consider the time period when she was born, like, where she lived, the economic circumstances, like, all that jazz. So history we love it (laughs) a little bit of a a history lesson here so yeah she's born in 1839 this is during the industrial revolution and this was a time when many people in this area were working class Leiden was a really poor city in this time and the people here they're just working and living in really shit circumstances Of course, there's no safety measures when it comes to working or anything. People were doing really dangerous things, breathing in dangerous fumes, and then they would come home. And Leiden didn't have like a plumbing system or anything at this time. So the city's super dirty. The factories are super dirty. And death and plague was very common. And yeah, this is exactly what Maria was born into and where she lived her entire life. Her family was incredibly poor, like basically as poor as you can get, and they were constantly ravaged by disease and death. There were like so many cholera outbreaks like all the time. Uh, So even though Maria- drinking poop water. (laughs) Yeah, stay away from the poop. (laughs) Well, that's going to happen if you have no friggin' plumbing. Where the hell's your poop going to go? Um, but yeah, so Into even though... the streets. <laughs> that is what they did, right? Yeah, like, they yeah. would just I'm, dump it they, in the streets. A lot of places, and I don't know if this is true for uh, Netherlands, but a lot of places had, like, just gutters in the streets. 
um, that you would A, either poop directly into, or B, you would just, like, splash it out your window and, like, hope it hit a gutter. And, like, that's... Stop. <laughs> right, because you see so many movies where people are, like, emptying their chamber pots onto the street and it, like, hits people. Mm-hmm. That's weird. That Like, could you imagine if you just, like get hit by poop flying through the air. Yeah. Remember that time an iguana crapped on me? Yeah. <laughs> it would be like that, but with people poop. An iguana pooped on me too. I thought someone threw a rock at me. Right? The it iguana. hurts. Like it hurts so bad. Okay. That's off topic. But everyone, if you ever get, and it's not even poop, it's a mixture of like poop and pee because that's how iguanas like vacate. But like, <laughs> I was mad because we were walking and I thought like some little kid whipped a stick at me and I was like, hey. Yeah, and I was like, like angry. And then happened? I looked at you and I was like, did you just hit me? And you were like, no. And then there was like, there was definitely like liquid down my arm. Yeah, I got crap yeah, on my that, arm. that happened to me. I was walking to church. My arm welted. My arm welted. <laughs> <laughs> hit me so hard. <laughs> I was walking to church wearing like a nice dress. And yeah, I swear to God, I thought someone like threw a rock at me and it hit me straight in the back. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And I like reached my hand over to feel it. And then I brought my hand back and like it was covered in poop. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is gross. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so even though Maria had 11 brothers and sisters, only five of them, including Maria, ended up living into adulthood. So that means like seven of them died more than 50%. literally people were just playing the odds by having that many children yeah you gotta like right <laughs> yeah like hey let's 50 50 shot these kids make it let's pop them out yeah <laughs> childhood death was very common and especially among like the poor and working class right so the fact that seven of her siblings died wasn't even that weird which is crazy like in today's world that would be insane did she kill them so <laughs> no um I will say no. Some people speculate that she just, like, kind of killed everyone around her. But I, from what I read and from the historians and stuff, like, no, she did not kill anyone in her immediate family. But I'll talk about that a bit more later. Uh, And I actually found an entire family tree of ancestors of hers online. So they're in the show notes if you just want to go check that out. So when Maria was really young, she lived in a tiny little house with her parents and these 11 other siblings before they died. And so there was like a front room where her parents slept, a small kitchen in the back, and then the children slept on the first floor directly under the roof. And that's all that the house was. And the first floor wasn't insulated or anything. So when it rained, like it was cold and wet up there, the wind blew directly into the house. People don't even successfully keep livestock in those conditions. How are you expecting 11 children to live? Right. (laughs) And Maria's father had a really hard time keeping a job, probably due to the fact that he was an alcoholic and also living in these shit circumstances. Uh, But he was mostly a textile worker in factories. Working 12-hour days for six days a week and still barely making enough to feed his family. And to me, that's crazy. Like, it's kind of the same in today's world where you just, like, work insane hours and you still don't even have enough to get by. I think that's just crazy. Like Something's wrong. (laughs) Something's wrong with society when that happens. Yeah. So when Maria was 12 years old, her entire family got evicted from that little house that they lived in because they couldn't pay rent. And they moved to Singlestrat or Single Street, 
which was the poorest and roughest street in the entire city. And basically, Maria lived there for the rest of her life. Uh, So when her family moved here, all of the daughters never went outside anymore, basically. They were never seen. They were kept inside all day and put to work, knitting clothes that they could then sell for money. And this was a completely normal practice, too. Like, it was completely normal to keep your kids home, put them to work, essentially having your own sweatshop with all your kids. What's the point of pushing out babies if they're not making you money by the time they're seven years old? (laughs) So because of this, Maria received no education. She was completely illiterate, could not read or write. And as she got into adulthood, her regular jobs kind of consisted of doing laundry for people, knitting clothes to sell, and she was also babysitting children or taking care of like sick people or old people. And she was so helpful and nice with this that this is why she received the nickname Hui May. <laughs> It was really common in this time for people to receive nicknames, but hers was like an especially nice one. Like this is like a really nice nickname. It's not like, you know, Fat Peter or something like that. (laughs) Fat Peter, I love it. (laughs) Her neighbors, they all just adored her. They really loved her. And this was a time too when neighbors really relied on each other a lot more heavily than they do nowadays. So yeah, Maria had a super good reputation in the area. They would People would say, like, you know, if your children need looked after, if you need laundry that needs done, you can always count on Hui Mei. And she did this, too, in, like, other people's homes. So she was a frequent guest, frequent visitor to many neighbors. Knew you where know, all their poisons were in their poison yeah. cabinet. <laughs> Making it really easy for her to have access to other people. Uh, Also in her young adulthood, she got together with a man called Johannes van der Linden. Uh, He was also a poor factory worker in the area. And they were basically married, like they were living together and acting married, but they weren't actually married on paper for many years. So apparently it was because young men were not allowed to marry until they had served five years in the military or something like that. Uh, so yeah, they like they couldn't get married, but this rule was later changed. Uh, so they had three children together out of wedlock, one son and two daughters. And because of the time, this was really looked down upon. Uh, Maria was essentially considered a prostitute for this. And in some descriptions of her, they will literally say like she was a prostitute, but she really wasn't like she was with Johannes and only him for many years, all the way up until her arrest, actually. So, um, yeah, she wasn't a prostitute, but she did have children out of wedlock. You need to get paid for it to be a prostitute. Yeah. Uh, So two of these three children that she had before marriage would also die young. And some people have said that she poisoned these two children. But a historian found evidence that it was it's way more likely that they died of cholera But what I think is that maybe what happened when these children died gave her the idea for what she's going to do later on. So I'll get more in depth in that in a moment. At the age of 28, on May 13th, 1868, Maria and Johannes finally were officially married. When she signed her marriage certificate because she was illiterate, she just drew like a little cross on the 
and the registrar's office like wrote beside it like this woman is illiterate and unable to sign her own name. They do that a lot. So I actually paid for Ancestry for a while and was like looking at some of my relatives and like fairly recently, like when they emigrated and came to Canada, like a lot of them were still illiterate and there would be a lot of like X's and it would be like, this is this person's mark because they are unable to like make a legible because they are illiterate. Like they actually do like make those little notes on the. It's cool to look at, but yeah. It's uh, the X or the cross. Yeah, interesting. So after they got married, the couple went on to have seven more children. So 10 in total. And as the pattern goes, only two of these seven children lived to adulthood. So really, like she had 10 kids and only three survived. Honestly, the toll that takes on your body and then to be like, yeah. only three of you made it. <clears throat> yeah. The death of her first daughter apparently hit her the hardest. So that girl's name was Catherine. And again, she likely died of cholera. There was an epidemic that happened in 1866 when the girl was two. And more than 800 people died in Leiden during this epidemic, which is a really huge number considering that Leiden only had about 48,000 inhabitants. And of course, like the working class neighborhood, they were just hit so much harder than the good neighborhoods. And children are the most vulnerable in those populations. So like in these streets of the poor neighborhoods, like every single house basically suffered a death. And in her entire life, Maria would experience about four of these cholera outbreaks. So shortly after her last child died, which was in 1877, Maria started drinking and developed a problem, which is yeah. like, yeah, well, no seems, shit. Seems accurate. <laughs> yeah. And I really can like empathize, em- empathize with the people in this time period. Like they are working so hard trying to survive and their family is just dying all around them. I think it's really easy to see why so many of them were alcoholics, but it's also interesting to consider Maria was probably really desensitized to death. Like she watched seven siblings die, seven of her own children, and I'm sure many other people in her life. So yeah, I'm not saying what she did was justified or anything, but it's just interesting to consider that death probably didn't like have as much carry, of, like, the, same, probably, carry the same weight yeah, as it does. Yeah. I think she was probably really desensitized to it and also probably really traumatized, right? Which like... <laughs> Yeah. Anyways. It's also shocking to me how long it took humans to be like, we should wash our hands with soap. (laughs) And then like the leaps and bounds that science has made since we should wash our hands with soap is absolutely mind blowing. And the fact that it took us so long to get to that initial point is like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And still, like, when we just had the COVID thing, everyone was just like, wash your hands. And it's like, that's still, like, the best thing to do, just to wash your hands. Just be cleaner than you are. be a (laughs) dirtball. So, yeah, it wasn't too long after her children died that she began poisoning a lot of people. So, actually, like, most people think that the poisoning started after the death of her first two children, which was around 1866. Uh, But yeah, what I think is really crazy, like it wasn't just neighbors. It was like her extended family that she killed. 
didn't kill her immediate family that we know of, but some of her family victims included like a lot of sisters and brothers-in-law, multiple cousins, and an aunt. That's terrible because like of your siblings that survived, like a few have found like potential happiness with someone and you're like, oh. Yeah. And I think it was also like her husband's brothers and sisters too that she killed. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, man, that one brother of yours is a real... Yep. Put some poison in his food. (laughs) (laughs) Hate the (laughs) in-laws. Yeah. So at first, these poisonings were all financially motivated. Like in all the early murders that we see, in all of them, she got compensation for. So, And this is the idea that I think she got from her children dying. So funeral insurance was very common at this time. Wonder why. And the idea of funeral insurance, like you could take it out on anybody it didn't have to be a close relative you could take it out on anyone it did not matter as long as you were paying the premium every month you could take it out on whoever you wanted back when insurance worked like insurance should work (laughs) and because like in these working class neighborhoods many people like a lot of people died of course and they also didn't have the financial means to pay for a for uh funeral i was gonna say computer for some reason <laughs> i don't know why. well even if they'd had the financial means to pay for a computer they would not have been able to purchase one courtney <laughs> yeah again we're still back at wash your hands um <laughs> back in the 1880s yeah um yeah but people still wanted like a proper burial for their loved ones so it was really custom for a lot of funeral insurance to be taken out sometimes by several different people like one person could have four different insurance policies taken out from four different people and yeah as we know like living to old age was not a not very common children a lot of the children died so at least if you took out insurance on it you know you would be able to get by if something happened with a funeral and so i think like when maria's first children died she kind of realized like hey like maybe i can profit off of all the death i experience work the system yeah but she took it that one step further and was like i'm gonna kill a bunch of people and claim the insurance money on them this (laughs) shall be my income so yeah she took out many 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 insurance policies sometimes her victims knew about them sometimes they didn't Sometimes she also managed to be in her victim's wills. Again, a lot of people looked highly on her. So that's a nice bonus. She got money to um, kind of surrounding the funeral. Like if there were, if someone was having a funeral and there was any work to be done, like she would do that work too, you know? So she really was like profiting off of the whole funeral situation. If she had any personal debts with someone or she, like she owed someone money, those people tended to die more often so can't imagine why that would yeah pretty good target for her like killing two birds with one can you imagine you just like owe somebody 10 bucks and then they just come out of the woodwork (laughs) and get killed and you're like huh cool that was a freebie (laughs) i can't like honestly never take out any kind of Ozies for anything anymore because (laughs) you're gonna die yeah so obviously like she'd take out these insurance policies but she would keep the money for herself and wouldn't use it on a funeral and if people didn't know about that insurance policy then there's no reason 
for like you know there's no suspicion there like she nobody's could just... following up to make sure you're paying that money on a funeral yeah and somebody else might be because they probably had four insurance policies on them you know so mm-hmm. that's not like that's a pretty big loophole that's pretty yeah. <laughs> don't that's get an error cool. message being like eh, eh, can't pay out the insurance policy because they've already got 17 on them <laughs> they just give you money so maria's weapon of choice was arsenic she would just add it, yeah, to like a food or drink, like soup, oatmeal, like I said, uh, that was in somebody's house. And arsenic at this time was sold for various purposes, so it was actually really easy to come by. Like You could get it as a remedy against rats or mice in your house, against bed bugs. But the thing was, like, you weren't supposed to be able to just buy straight up arsenic. It would always be, like, mixed with something else. Like, for example, Maria would buy it for bed bugs, and it consisted of, like, one part sulfur and four parts arsenic. But because it was so poorly mixed, you could just easily separate the sulfur from the arsenic. You could just be like, okay, cool. Throw this in the trash. Use this for poisoning people. (laughs) And it did turn out later in the investigation that the regulations were pretty lax. So you could, in fact, buy straight up arsenic powder if you wanted to. But I'll say a bit more about that later. Again, we get to that point where it's like, wash your hands, only have one insurance policy on a person at a time, and don't sell people arsenic. (laughs) It's just basics of society. Basics of society. (laughs) And of course, ingesting arsenic is extremely harmful (laughs) um so if you get poisoned by arsenic you get basically like constant diarrhea and vomiting and from there you either starve or dehydrate mostly dehydrate uh you also get like you know like a ripped up throat maddening pains shortness of breath and when the arsenic enters your blood it attacks your organs so your brain is affected you get like a pounding headache you're really sensitive to light Eventually, your heart and kidneys give out. It can also damage your stomach and intestines. So, yeah, basically, if you don't die from dehydration at first, you'll die later from organ failure. And it's extremely painful. And over the years of doing this, as Maria got later and later, the the murders kind of began to not really be about financial reasons anymore. Well, she had, she had some money at that point. <laughs> this is just for fun now just for shits and giggles yeah yeah it seemed to be more of a compulsion so and some of the murders that she even committed caused a financial loss so a good example of this are the aben sisters two girls that she babysat for and was paid for babysitting for them and she just poisoned both of the girls both of them died so she lost that income Play the long game. What are you doing? Yeah, I feel like maybe it developed into like a God complex or like an urge to control things or something. You know, like kind of how you see those like killer nurses. I kind of get that vibe from her. And there was even one time, this one was awful. So at a funeral for one of Maria's victims, Maria put arsenic in the coffee at the funeral and poisoned all of the guests. Now, no one died from this attack, at least, but everyone got sick. That makes me think of the Always Sunny uh, episode, the wedding episode, where they spike the... Oh, yeah. They spike mother's milk. Mother's milk, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So some people wonder, they're like, how did anybody not notice that Maria was poisoning people for around 20 years? Uh, but I think like it's it's pretty obvious like when you really look at it. So first of all, we know Maria was insanely trusted in this community. The people in this time were, again, also very used to death. Child mortality was normal. Epidemics were normal. Everything was unhygienic. No one Nobody washed their hands. Into, <laughs> nobody washed their hands. Nobody lived into old age in this environment. And then there was also the doctors. Oh my so, God, medical practices? <laughs> yeah, doctors were hella expensive at this time. So no one could even afford to go see one if they got sick. And if someone from the poor area died, the doctors would literally be like, meh, because that happened all the time. So and they like, would never go to like fix for most things was just leeches, <laughs> leeches and like draining all the blood out of yeah. people. <laughs> good, good work. <laughs> it's the blood that's the problem. Get it out. <laughs> yeah. So nothing ever went further into an investigation. But this all changed with one of Maria's victims named Hendrik Frankhausen. So Hendrik had a wife and an infant son. And the craziest part about this, Hendrik was Maria's husband's brother. So like this family was her brother-in-law, her sister-in-law, and her nephew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just kill your family. Just kill a whole family. No big deal. Yeah, all three of them got sick at the same time on December 8th, 1883. The wife and child died within 24 hours, but Hendrik lasted a little bit longer with this sickness. And since he knew, like, his life was at risk, his wife and child just died from this mysterious illness that he also has, he went to the doctor, but he ended up dying six days later. And the doctor this time informed the police because he thought it was super sus that an entire family just got wiped out at the same time. And especially not during a cholera outbreak, just a normal... <laughs> just a normal day <laughs> in the poor neighborhood. Yeah, and, and even more, the doctor had another patient a week earlier with the exact same symptoms, and that person happened to live on the same street as Hendrick. So quite the coincidence... When the doctor looked further in an autopsy, he found arsenic in the entire family. So the police began investigating these deaths as murders. They found a witness who said that Maria was at the family's house the day before they all got sick. And when the police found Maria, she had the insurance policies for all three victims in her pockets. On her person. Like, that's the worst. <laughs> like, just has them with not yeah, even like, like ready to not go even collect. like in the house or like she's just like it is time <laughs> yeah like ready needs need this money yeah so she was arrested the next day after the doctor filed the report with the police and from here they arrested her so she was 44 at the time and when she was first arrested there was like complete uproar in the neighborhood people were booing the police 
basically rioting against them, saying, like, Maria could have not done this. She did not do anything wrong. Let her go. And they're like, they were... we're trying to save your lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were so mad. They were even, like, there's reports that they were calling the cop who arrested her, like, a fat bastard. Like, they were just, like, they were so mad. Like, she was a pillar in the community, and they were just like, no way. Like, this isn't true. You have it wrong. But sentiments started to change when things started to come out about the investigation. And then Maria confessed. It really is crazy to think about, though. Like, you have this woman in your community who is so helpful, great to have. Like, you really love her. And then you find out that, like, she's not just, she didn't just kill one person. Like, she's been systematically killing, like, all of you. And you're like, you, I, you would probably start to think back and just be like, okay, so so-and-so died last year. Was that just natural causes or was yeah. that poison? <laughs> like, she was here the day before. Like, yeah, exactly. So it really became, like, this huge neighborhood thing. And And really, basically, the whole neighborhood was impacted by her, either directly or indirectly. So, yeah, it turned into this huge investigation. Uh, A few days after her arrest, Maria said that she put arsenic in a pot of oatmeal that was cooking for that last family that she just completely obliterated. And on December 18th, she was transferred to the detention center in The Hague to await trial. And while she was waiting for trial, like, this investigation... I can't even tell you. It was just huge. Like, it was really, like, the entire neighborhood that, like, detectives were going, like, house to house, basically interviewing every single person, everyone who knew someone who had died, basically, while being in the vicinity of Maria. Uh, They also looked at all the insurance policies that Maria had collected on, because, of course, there was records of that, and there were a lot of them. And then maybe we think about making a system where someone gets red flagged after 27 policies have been (laughs) uh, claimed on. They're like, dang. (laughs) Yeah, they spoke to the ushers from the funeral insurance companies who would come to, like, they would go to Maria's house every month to collect, like, all these premiums. They went to a bunch you of pharmacists in the you area. You have to know that if you're going to that person's house to collect that much money, she has policies on a lot of people. Like, yeah. and and that should be a red flag and be like, yeah, why and it's this like, woman, how many why did, people why do that? Why is this woman paying exorbitant premium fees every and month? Then, <laughs> and then, like every week, there's a new murder yeah. or not a new claim, a new death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the cops also went to a bunch of pharmacists in the area, many of them who were like, oh, yeah, we sold plenty of arsenic to Maria. But they went even further than this. I really like this part. So they sent out, they wanted to know kind of like how much arsenic you could get or how easy it was. So they sent out undercover cops to purchase arsenic because, again, like you weren't supposed to be allowed to buy straight up arsenic, only a mixture. But the undercover cops were able to buy enough straight up arsenic to kill 100 people and it only cost them 10 cents uh that would not happen today like even financially uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what 10 cents was back then i know it was a lot more but still but still like even comparatively to today's rates no yeah <laughs> So from all of this, the police decided to exhume the bodies of 16 people, which was probably really gross, like, in and of itself. Like, some of these people had been dead for many years. 
So in the 16 bodies that they examined, 14 of them had arsenic in them. Overall, this investigation spanned more than 90 suspicious deaths and lasted more than a year and a half to try and untangle this huge web. When it all came down to it, they could pinpoint about 27 people who they could say, like, for sure, this was Maria. But there were many others that they just can't pinpoint or don't even know about. Some people think that it's, like, in the hundreds that she killed. There were also several people that she poisoned who survived. Like, they found about 40 people that had survived an attack from her. And a lot of them had health issues for life, too, after this poisoning. I mean, like, yeah, you were you were poisoned. You were meant yeah. to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a lot of reports, like, if you try to research it, basically every single report that you read has, like, a different concrete number. So it's really hard to say for sure. But I think that these numbers are a nice estimate based on everything I read. And then finally, on April 23rd and 24th, it was a two-day trial, 1885. My sister's birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> um, yeah, this is when her criminal case was heard before the court in The Hague. And this case really went crazy in the media, like nationally and internationally. You can say kind of that this was one of the first like media storms when it comes to like a trial type situation. Like, it was just front page every single day. Crazy stuff was coming out about her. And every day it got crazier, you know? And that's when it started to say, like, she even killed her own parents and she killed her own children. But there was really nothing to back that up. Uh, everyone in the neighborhood was also, like, just going on crazy stories now. Like, they were saying that she ate people... Uh, it was just like, yeah, crazy stuff going on. So a lot of the stuff is was not true. It was just media doing its thing. But yeah, this was a huge sensation. And the courtroom was absolutely packed. This was like the trial of the century for the Netherlands. <laughs> Her lawyers tried to say that this was just like, nature's mistake basically there was something wrong with her mentally and she shouldn't be convicted because she was insane but psychologists said no she is fully sane she's in full possession of her mind and maria just said like one thing basically she's like please have a merciful punishment give me arsenic <laughs> on may 1st 1885 she was sentenced to life in prison Present. In presence. <laughs> Present. <laughs> and actually, just 15 years before that, in 1870, the death penalty was abolished in the Netherlands, so she couldn't be sentenced to death. So she did receive the maximum sentence that she could have received. And in court, she was only charged and convicted of four murders, even though, of course, we know the number is much greater than that. On July 2nd, 1885, she was transferred to the prison for women in Schertenbosch? Schertenbosch? Can I say yeah. that? Good. Well done. <laughs> I won't even try it, so perfect. <laughs> Not much later, on December 29th, the marriage between her and Johannes was dissolved. And then on March 8th, 1887, she was again transferred to the women's prison in Horenkem. She would stay here for the rest of her life. In this prison, she tried 
several times in vain to get a pardon or a revision, but it did not work. And she died on April 11th, 1915, at the age of 75, after a long illness. And she was buried at this Chorenkem prison without a headstone. But even though she was gone, the crazy ordeal really left a huge mark on the Netherlands. Her house became a landmark. Uh, There was a sign put on it that said, like, the poisoner lived here. And I actually think, don't quote me on this, but I think you can still see it today. I saw like a recent picture of it online when I was researching. So I kind of want to go see, but I'm not sure. Perfect. Yep. There's a lot of theories still circulating. One is that Maria's husband was completely in on it. And he was actually arrested in the beginning because they thought he was in on it, but he was later released. And you do have to wonder, like, she was bringing in a lot of money. Did her husband not know how it was And how do you miss all the insurance policies and, like, all the arsenic just laying around your house? Like, you have to be completely oblivious in life to, like, really miss out on all of that. So I think he must have, like, if he wasn't involved, he at least knew and was just, like, turning a blind eye and being like, yes, kill the elderly woman across the street and take her (laughs) life insurance policy. She's old. But again, no one got old. So it was really probably just, like, kill that 20-year-old across the street. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't make that much money from laundry and babysitting although so it wasn't a crazy i mean probably for her it was a crazy amount of money um so apparently it was three thousand guilders back in the 1880s which would be about seventy five thousand dollars today so that is like a nice chunk of change but it wasn't enough to like lift her out of poverty or anything. well i mean you have to think she still had to pay for the policies like yeah exactly Uh, Her children probably suffered the most after their mother was arrested. They were basically shunned from society and booed in this street. And to this day, Maria still has descendants living in Leiden that don't want to be known by their real last name because of this. And it's been like 100 years. A lot of legislation also changed after this event. Emily, you will be pleased. It became (laughs) a lot harder to obtain heavy poisons, including arsenic. The rules changed on who could take out an insurance policy on someone. They didn't just let anyone do it anymore. Doctors also started to take the deaths of working class individuals more seriously and really looked into things if something seemed off. What? What you should have been doing in the get-go? <laughs> Maria was, um, she was used like also as a point in many debates. So shortly after this, cremation started becoming popular after someone died and people who were really against this spoke up saying like, well, what if all of Huey May's victims had been cremated? We would never know what she did. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this was all- she was also used, like, because this happened shortly after the death penalty was abolished, a lot of people were really mad about that and used it as a reason why the death penalty should be reinstated. They said, quote, Now she will live for years to come at the expense of the state, and she isn't even better off than many working class families because she gets food and has a decent roof over her head. Which is true. Like, she probably lived better in prison than she did in, like, one of the poorest streets in Leiden, so... Just to finish off here, one historian named Stefan Glasswerchen, he did a lot of research on her and wrote a book about her, too, He says that the most interesting part of her story is how much it says about the social unrest of of that time in the Netherlands. 
quote, a lot happened in her life. Her parents and grandparents experienced the fret the French occupation of the Netherlands. During her lifetime, the Industrial Revolution started. She witnessed the first social legislation. Child labor, for example, was curtailed. She also experienced the abolition of slavery and the outbreak of the First World War. I think the murders she committed were a way of escaping the misery of the Industrial Revolution. All the stereotypes you know about that period, such as illness, poverty, and inequality, are reflected in her life story. She is a personification of that dark period. And of course, she made fundamentally wrong choices. But you do wonder, would she have done the same in our time when social care is so much better organized? I actually don't think so. Mostly because she wouldn't have gotten away with it. It there's so many more things she that would are have in got her way. Yeah, she would have been caught yeah. like immediately. <laughs> One person would have gone to the ER with like, I have a tummy ache, and they would have been like, You've been poisoned with arsenic. Did you was Maria at your house? I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hua May, she's still famous in the Netherlands today, especially in Leiden. And especially around Halloween, too. She's become kind of like a pop culture type of figure. Like, comic books or graphic novels have been written about her. Many with a lot of errors in them. Cafe songs have been made. Fairground attractions have featured her. There have been plays about her. Statues in wax museums. Things like that. Also, I will state again how much I hate wax museums. Okay, continue. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the story of who am I? Uh, you know, sufficiently sufficiently creepy. Thank you. Sufficiently creepy. Yeah, she like, you can look at a picture of her too. She has this like angry look on her face. Like, Wah. Well, when you're Wah. murdering that many people that quickly, you yeah. have to be an angry person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So don't forget, we're taking a little holiday after this episode, but we hope to see you back on June 2nd and have a have a lovely time we'll see you then goodbye bye thanks for listening if you liked this episode please listen rate review and follow all episodes of spook pod new ones are out every other friday available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to chat? Email us at thespookpod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at spookpod. For a full list of episodes, more deets, or to see what's coming next, visit our website, spookpod.com. This has been a presentation of Mostly Awkward Media. See you, see next, you next time! time.